Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Light of the East is also funded by a grant from the Koch Foundation. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyer, your host. You hear a faint echo of the preparatory period leading up to the birth of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. In the Western Church, it would be called the season of Advent. In the Eastern Churches, it's called the Philip's Fast. It is a penitential period, but we're not there yet. But there's a faint echo of it. And as we move towards that period, we're going to look at a couple of unitive figures, one that unites heaven and earth. In the Byzantine liturgical calendar, November 8th is the feast of St. Michael the Archangel. But we also celebrate all the incorporeal powers. We call them incorporeal powers. In other words, without bodies, bodiless beings, which of course were made in heaven by God long before he made human beings or brought matter into existence. God in heaven created spiritual beings. And there's a number of them, actually a hierarchy of them. St. Michael the Archangel, of course, being one of the top ones because he was the one that drove Lucifer, the betraying angel, out of heaven. And he, of course, became known as the devil and has been up to his devilish things ever since. But St. Michael is celebrated in the Byzantine church along with the other, as I mentioned, incorporeal powers. For example, in the Matins prayers, we say this. Remember, in the Eastern churches, our prayers, especially our liturgical prayers, are always dogmatic hymns. They always profess what we believe. So we basically turn our belief into prayer and vice versa. So it says in the Matins, one of the prayers is, the cherubim and many-eyed seraphim, the armies of ministering archangels, together with the virtues, thrones, and dominions, the angels, powers, and principalities implore you, O Creator and God, that you do not reject the pleading of your sinful people, since you are a merciful God. Now, did you hear all those words? Virtues, thrones, dominions. These are different classifications of spiritual beings in heaven. That's right. There are beings in heaven, some we know as angels, and some we know as these other 
titles, virtues, thrones, dominions, they are all spiritual beings, superior spiritual beings that surround our Lord, God himself, in the ongoing, continual liturgy of heaven, praising God and also interceding for us. In the Eastern churches, angels are huge. We have angels all over the place in our prayers, our hymns, but also in our architecture and our art. If you step into an Eastern church that is properly and thoroughly decorated from its architecture to its iconography, you're going to see lots and lots of angels, just angels everywhere. In fact, sometimes I pose the challenge to my parishioners, especially the children. I ask them, okay, who can guess how many angels are actually appearing in this church? And no one's got it right yet because there's so many of them. I don't even know how many, and I painted a lot of them with the iconography. But we have angels everywhere. And what angels do for us is they connect heaven and earth. They are our messengers. Yes, they're messengers. They intercede for us, but they also connect heaven and earth. Because what happens is during the liturgy, and this is the same in the Latin rite as well, it's just that it's emphasized in a special way in the Eastern liturgies. When we step into liturgical worship, most particularly the divine liturgy, the Eucharistic liturgy called the Mass in the West, we actually take our place alongside the angels in heaven. We join them in that heavenly choir of the ongoing liturgy in heaven praising God. Now, this is a theological, spiritual reality. This is not just piety or a nice kind of fairy tale. This actually happens. And this is why in the Eastern Church, we have a very solemn procession in which we are bringing the gifts that we become the body and blood of Christ, in other words, the bread and the wine and the chalice and discos, we're bringing them around in a very solemn procession called the Great Entrance. They start from a table that is in the sanctuary to the left of the main altar. It used to be, centuries ago, it used to be a separate building in itself called the Scalephalachian, and there would be a grand procession with those gifts into the church. At that point, the patriarch or the leader, the bishop, would join the liturgy at that point, and that's one of the reasons it was called a great entrance. And we would commemorate, the priests and deacons would chant out loud a commemoration for the patriarch by name or the bishop. And also then remembering the clergy, the laity, the benefactors, etc. A grand procession they call the great entrance. And during that, the choir cantors sing this beautiful solemn hymn called the Cherubic Hymn, reference to the cherubim, the angels that we read about a moment ago. Let us who mystically represent the cherubim and sing a thrice holy hymn to the life-creating trinity. Now set aside our earthly cares that we may welcome the king of all, invisibly escorted by angelic host. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. So what's happening is what we're saying is that we're calling upon the angels because we are going to mystically represent them. We're going to start taking our place along with them in that mystical ongoing eternal liturgy in heaven. And that happens only, only by way of the divine liturgy on earth. And this is why in Eastern churches, and this is certainly the case in my church, Annunciation, Homer Glen, Illinois, it is why on the ceiling, or up in the, the main dome of an Eastern church, we have Christ the Pantocrator, the all-powerful ruler, the looming largest icon in the church, surrounded by a choir of angels. And this choir of angels, each angel has in their hand an instrument that we use in our liturgy down on earth. So basically what's happening is you're having basically, in a sense, a, like a mirrored ceiling. 
only it's a dome. In other words, what's happening in heaven is mirroring what is happening on earth in our divine liturgy in our Eastern churches and vice versa. What we're doing in the Eastern churches at our liturgy is we're mirroring, actually participating in what is happening above us, up in the dome, the large icon on the ceiling. In other words, what's happening in heaven. And we emphasize this to the point where, as I mentioned, the instruments that we use in the liturgy, the gospel book, the lance, the spoon, the chalices, everything we use in liturgy, we see in the hands of the angels up in the ceiling. That's how far we go to communicate this idea that heaven and earth are united in the liturgy. And the biggest uniting factor is the angels. And that's why we paint them everywhere. We feature them anywhere, little tiny ones everywhere, big ones, huge ones, and even the prominent ones like St. Michael. In my particular church and in many Byzantine churches, the icon of St. Michael is very obviously displayed on the walls of the church, and mine it is as well. And he stands there with a scale, scale in his hand. It's the scales of justice. And on the one side of the scale, the part that's leaning downward, is the devil. And his lance, St. Michael's lance, is going right through that devil. In other words, he's the one that drives out the devil, drives out evil from heaven and from earth and from our lives. That Icon is one of the favorites among the boys in my church, as you can well imagine. They like that stuff, the warrior driving the spear right through the body of the devil. We have another one like that, too, only it's St. George, who's driving his spear through the dragon, representing, of course, the devil, the serpent. But this protection of St. Michael, of the church, is actually very real. And we need to pray to St. Michael for his protection, not only in our own lives personally, but for the church and for the world, especially now. I think it's pretty obvious to all of us, to everybody in the world right now, unless you're really, really out of it, really evil to the core. Everyone knows that there is tremendous evil in this world that cannot be eradicated by human efforts alone. We need divine intervention, the intercession of the Blessed Mother especially, but also, as I pray every day, to St. Michael, the archangel that he drives Satan back into hell forever and keeps him away from this world. He seems to be roaming about with just impunity. I've always admired the prayer of the Latin rite to St. Michael. It's a real gutsy prayer. I like that. It talks about Satan and his minions roaming around the earth, seeking the ruination of souls. I, I like that prayer. I always admire that in the Latin rite. We have ours too. In fact, ours is this way. O leaders of the heavenly armies, although we are always unworthy, we beseech you that with your prayers you may encircle us with the protection of the wings of your angelic glory. Watch over us as we bow low and earnestly cry out to you. Deliver us from trouble, O princes of the heavenly armies. This is very, very similar to the Latin rite, but I have to admit, I kind of have a personal bias to the Latin rite prayer. It's just, I just like the gutsiness of it. It's very direct and gutsy. Now, also what we sing regarding angels in our liturgy is this. Holy archangels and angels, pray to God for us. We praise you without respite, O Christ, because you mysteriously joined earth and heaven. You have fashioned one church of angels and people. Now, imagine that. Right there from the prayer, and whenever we pray, that is what we believe. It's not just pious stuff because we're in church and we just talk about angels and so on. We're, we're proclaiming a reality that Christ has fashioned one church of angels and people. Imagine, we are that united with each other, with the angels in heaven, with us here on earth, 
And that happens through the worship of the church, especially the divine liturgy, the Eucharistic liturgy. More about angels and and another unifying person when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Every day, Father Loya posts a brief two-minute Facebook video on the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish homepage. You'll be amazed at what you can learn just by watching. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you I'm Father Anthony Bush, pastor of St. Stanislaus Koska, the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy in Chicago, and you are listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Truth, it's not about how you feel. And now, a Sheptitsky Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. In 1935, Archbishop Andrei Sheptitsky wrote the following about truth and our attitudes towards faith. He wrote, many believing Christians are sometimes wrong because they think that authentic religion is more of a feeling than truth itself. Faith is an act of reason and not a blind assent to just anything whatsoever. And faith is certainly not just one's private experience. Faith compels one to believe, but it compels one because the mind itself recognizes that believing is a reasonable and necessary act and that not believing would be a sin against God and truth. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit sheptitskyinstitute.ca. That's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y institute.ca. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host, uniting, as this program does, the church east and west. And, if I may be so presumptuous, we help to unite heaven with earth, because that's what the liturgies of the church do, both east and west. And that's what we're committed to. Unity, unity, unity. That's what this program has been committed to, and we're going steaming towards, proud to say, humble to say, we're going to be steaming towards this year a thousand broadcasts, a thousand programs. Can you imagine that? And I want to thank all of you for listening, especially if you've been with us all these years. We're moving ahead, still trying to seek unity in the church between East and West. But speaking of unity, 
This week, we also, in addition to St. Michael the Archangel and all the incorporeal powers, we celebrate a martyr who was martyred and is canonized for his efforts, shedding of his blood for the sake of unity between the Eastern churches and the Pope of Rome. His name is St. Joseph. I'm going to read some information about him from a, a very good source. It's from the Basilica of St. Joseph in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This is a ministry now of the Conventual Franciscans. And this article is written by the very Reverend Anselm Rom, who is a Franciscan and the former rector of the Basilica of St. Joseph This Again, it's in Milwaukee. St. Josephat was born John Kuncevich, about 1580, in Vladimir, a village of the Lithuanian province of Ohinia, which was part of the Polish kingdom at that time. His parents belonged to the Eastern Rite Church of Kiev, Ukraine, in other words, a Byzantine Rite, but Ukrainian, which was then separated from Rome. That's right, it was separated from Rome. So, Josephat is claimed by both. He's one of those unique figures that is completely claimed by the Latin Rite Church and the Eastern Rite Churches. When John was just a child, his mother explained the icons in church. Years later, he told a friend that he felt a spark of fire leave the wounded side of the crucified and enter into his own heart, which was filled with joy. This event influenced the rest of his life. He began to memorize the church rituals and psalms. Within him grew the desire to suffer poverty and death for his Savior. I just want to comment on one thing there. It says, when John was just a child, his mother explained the icons in church, and then this spark began to grow in his heart. I have to admit, now, I'm not comparing myself to Josephat at all. However, I have to admit, I had that same experience when I was a child. One of the reasons I'm a priest today, I must confess to you, because while I was growing up, I had the privilege to grow up in a church which was painted floor to ceiling with beautiful art, beautiful icons. I had a beautiful choir and cantor in my church. I had a marvelous liturgical experience as a child in my parish growing up. And seeing those icons and growing to understand them and hearing that music of the choir made a profound, a profound impact on me. It gave me very early on a sense of the glory, the majesty of God. And in a sense, I started falling in love with God. So I had a similar experience as Josephat, although I'm not nearly a similar person as he is. John's father sent him to Vilno in Lithuania to learn more about the family business. Nevertheless, he spent much of his leisure in reading the lives of the saints and observing the religious ferment in the local church. The Ruthenians, the ethnic origin of his family, had been evangelized from Constantinople, which is modern-day Istanbul, and generally followed the lead of the Byzantine church there. But because of the absorption of the Ruthenians into the Polish kingdom, always staunch Roman Catholics, the question of reunion with Rome was hotly debated. Now, this word Ruthenian. Ruthenian is what I am. That's what my background is ethnically, and it's what we call my church. We call my church the Byzantine Rite of the Ruthenian jurisdiction. So there's a Ukrainian jurisdiction and a Ruthenian jurisdiction. Basically, they're almost identical. They come from that same area of Central Europe. But the original people of that area, they were called the people of Rus, which later became anglicized into Ruthenian. The Rus or Rusins became known as Ruthenians. And the Ruthenians never had their own home. In other words, they never had their own country per se, you know, geopolitically. But they were a people of that region. And so different geopolitical boundaries closed down on top of them. So sometimes they were Slovak, sometimes they were Hungarian, sometimes they were Ukrainian. In other words, geopolitically. But they were the same people by blood. Eventually, they grew into the Ruthenians and the Ukrainians, but very, very, very similar. 
So our martyr here, Josephat, came from what was known as the Ruthenians. Later, it became known as Ukrainians. Now, what happened is, as you heard earlier, these Eastern churches that St. Josephat belonged to were not in union with Rome, at least not yet, but they're on the verge of that. The bishops of the Ukrainian and Belarusian churches who lived within the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth held a Ruthenian synod in 1595 and voted to unite with Rome under Pope Clement VIII. John Konsevich, in other words, later St. Josephat, was 15 years old. In 1598, seven bishops signed the Union of Brest, which allowed them to retain their Eastern rites while in full communion with the Pope of Rome. Although most of the Vilno refused union, John made his profession of faith, then entered the Basilian Monastery of the Holy Trinity in Vilno and took the name of Josephat. Now, interesting, unable to find adequate spiritual direction among the lax priests of his order, <laughs> Joseph had compensated by severe mortifications of reparation for them and for those who had refused communion with Rome. Finally, spiritual guidance came in the person of John Rutsky, a convert from Calvinism and later Bishop of Kiev. In 1609, Josephette was ordained a priest and began his career of preaching and spiritual direction and providing for the needy and the homeless. Over 60 men entered the Basilian order under his influence. Josephette was made the superior of a daughter monastery at Baiton, where he revived devotion to the Mother of God. Returning to Vilno as Archimandrite, that means the head of the monastery, he began to reform the monks. There he also compiled texts from the Eastern Fathers and doctors under the title, A Defense of Church Unity. All these activities led to his being appointed coadjutor bishop to the elderly, ailing bishop of Plock. Subsequently, Josephat became the bishop of Plock with the title of Arch-Eparch, in other words, Archbishop. Plock is also pronounced Plotsky. Now, he is called to revitalize his diocese. So what happened was a new appointee, Josephat, at once called a synod to revitalize his diocese. He detached his priests from subservience to the unruly nobility and wrote a rule for priests. Most of all, he pursued the reunion of all with Rome. Now, the major obstacle was the Orthodox bishop Miletius Smotritsky, who was aided by schismatic preachers sent from Constantinople to prevent the reunion. The latter spread slanders against Josephat, and during his absence in Warsaw, to plead for reunion, agitated for Josephus' removal. Hostility increased when he wrote to prove that St. Vladimir had actually preached the Catholic, not Orthodox faith. While Josephus was visiting Belarus, he was cruelly hacked to death on November 12, 1623. He was about 45 years old. Josephus had said before his martyrdom, I rejoice to offer my life for my holy Catholic faith. He had prayed, God, grant that I be found worthy to shed my blood for the union and obedience of the apostolic see. He had never revoked his childhood experience of the crucified. Now, here's the events of his martyrdom. A little bit hard to hear, but I, uh, to kind of take, but I'll read them anyway, because it magnifies the sacrifice of this St. Josephat. The mob, hostile to reunion, broke into the courtyard of the mansion where Archbishop Josephat was staying. He came out of the house, a commanding figure in his black robes, and crossed medallions over his breast. He addressed his enemies calmly. Why are you attacking my servants? Take your anger out upon me. Momentarily, the mob quieted. Then two schismatics, bolder than the rest, rushed forward and split his head open with battle axes. As if that weren't enough, they shot him as well, stripped his body, and set wild dogs to tear him apart. Tiring of their terrible sport, the mob threw his body into the river with his penitential hair shirt tied around his neck and loaded with rocks to sink his body. 
His remains were subsequently recovered and hidden from further desecration. It has been written that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of church growth. Among the many miracles consequent to Joseph's murder, now, now listen to this, was the conversion of those assassins to the Roman Union. Thousands of dissidents returned to the Catholic faith. Most significant, even Bishop Smotritsky became an ardent supporter of the Pope. Now, I think we need to pause and just try to meditate on that. That's one of the reasons I read these graphic details, to show you the extent of the hatred. They couldn't find enough ways to vent their hatred on Josephette, just because he wanted to be in union with Rome. And yet those very hateful people converted themselves, including the patriarch. So in 1643, 20 years later, Pope Urban VIII declared him blessed. But it was not until June 29, 1867, that Pope Pius IX canonized him a saint. Now, 1643, he was declared blessed. Now that's significant because in 1646, three years later, the Orthodox who were of the Ruthenian persuasion, they, like the Ukrainians, reunited with Rome. And that's my particular church. Eventually, Josephat's body was laid intact, dressed as a Byzantine bishop in St. Peter's Basilica. And this took place on November 25th, 1963. Had the privilege to see many times, stand before many times, his body clad with the Byzantine robes of a bishop there in St. Peter's Basilica. So, a great figure for unity in the church, just as this radio program is committed to unity in the church, St. Josephat. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. News from around the world as it happens. Religious liberty, immigration, prayer, plus daily reports from the White House, Capitol Hill, and Rome. Get the Catholic News perspective on the things that impact your life on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!